0: RadioInfluence.com We are back for another episode of the MMA Report Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan. We come in just a couple of days after what an amazing Saturday night of fights UFC 290. Daniel, no doubt about it. Best pay-per-view of the year by far. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, that was one of the best pay-per-views I've ever seen. There have been really great pay-per-views. I'm not saying it's the best, but it was one of the best. And you know why? Because every single fight on the main card was something worth watching. We had a fight of the year in the co-main event. We had the best pound for pound fighter in the main event. We had a guy, Andrikus, rise up the ranks and challenge for that middleweight championship, beating a guy who's lost to no one other than Izzy in the past nine years. We had the future of this sport look great, and we had an amazing, comfort behind performance from an OG veteran lightweight, and Jason, that was just the main card. Simply put, if you were watching this fight with a casual fan, with your friends, your buddies sitting at home, it was the type of pay-per-view that made you proud to be a UFC or a mixed martial arts fan?
0: I was literally sitting at a table at a sports bar with a buddy that I, I don't even know if I would call him a casual May fan. He's just a sports fan. And I was like, this is like. This is a type of action you want when you're trying to get your fans, your friends involved in, in combat sports. Like, hey, let's go out on Saturday night and watch the UFC. And, like, I talk about this all the time. We got to give people their flowers while they're here. I mean, hey, let's give flowers to the UFC for putting on this card. And But I'll, but let's give the flowers to the fighters. I mean, the fighters went out there and absolutely delivered. I mean, it was an amazing – I mean, you talk about all the, sh- the quick finishes we had on this card. I mean, and a lot of them on the prelims. I mean, it was a great night of fights. And I went out to a sports bar – and let me just tell you, night and day difference from UFC 289 to UFC 290. You know, I went out for 289, and look, it, it there wasn't a lot of people in the bar, frankly. And once the co-main event was over, at UFC 289, a lot of people just did not care about the man Nunez fight. I get to the bar on Saturday. I mean, it is packed, and I'm like, okay. And then the crowd stayed the whole time. And you know, one of the you know, there, there's a lot of. Big takeaways from me for from watching at a bar. Obviously, we don't we don't talk politics here, but it was another example of when Donald Trump walks out. Even people in the bar were going crazy for this, and it, like it just it it was one of those things that just like it was another example of what Donald Trump means. Even though like I can't be the only one. That would be fascinating to hear Dana White and Donald Trump conversation. And is Donald Trump going, hey, man, did you see that Jesse Aguilar, what he did in 17 seconds?
1: Yeah, that is something that is interesting. Uh, That would be funny if that's like the one thing Donald Trump knows more than anything is like mixed martial arts. Like that's his passion. Like, uh, yeah, look, we won't get into politics, obviously. He's an incredibly divisive figure, but he was pretty universally liked when it came to the crowd. And I think when he's not a president, it's kind of like he's more of a celebrity and it's more like, oh, wow, because he is probably the most famous, not the most, but definitely one of the most famous human beings on the planet. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was gonna say in America, but maybe the planet, I'm not sure. But he's one of the most famous people. So just when he's like associated with the UFC or at a UFC event, it's kind of like, wow, like even if you aren't a fan of him politically, I do think if you're at a UFC event and you just see Donald Trump's walking through the crowd, you kind of take a step back just because he's so famous. And he also is a former president. So it's kind of crazy to think, like, damn, like a former president is a fan of mixed martial arts. Like, wow, there's hope for all of us wearing Affliction and, and Hardy shirts. But, um yeah, I mean, he's just a really famous dude. I mean, it, it's weird that, like... <laughs> The UFC attracts Donald Trump, Mel Gibson, and Guy Fieri. Like what a what a <laughs> what an all star cast of celebrities, Jason. Jeez Louise!
0: <laughs> at the bar of that, people started chanting USA, and I'm like, oh my goodness. But but uh, here here's another takeaway for me from watching the the event at, at a sports bar. Is there another nationality that supports their country's fighters, like Mexican support Mexican fighters? Um, I mean, I mean, may, you know, I mean, I guess you could maybe throw Irish and Conor McGregor. Exact, exactly, but, what I was thinking of, but, but, but yeah, that was Mexico. like, yeah, that was a huge takeaway. I mean, and obviously we've seen in boxing, and you know, and, and look, in the bar I'm at is a bar I frequent a lot, and I, I will tell you, it was a different audience in the building on Saturday night.
1: I mean, even for, um, uh, Jesus Aguilar. The crowd made a loud noise. Granted, he knocked Shannon Ross the F out, so they probably would have made a loud noise if he was from Uzbekistan or, you know, freaking, um, I don't know, Honduras. It doesn't matter. That knockout was amazing. But when Brandon came in, outside of the bar you were at in that event, Brandon came across as such a major star fighting for that championship. So, yeah, as someone who has some heritage, you know, my dad's family goes back to mexico i'm proud to be a mexican in the way we support fighters combat sports is kind of a part of our culture but uh yeah it makes things look big um i think they have to run in mexico they just have to it, it, it needs to happen in mexico city and mm-hmm. and look we had a perfect opportunity with yair and brandon as champions and now, neither of them have a UFC strap. So, it, it shows you that the UFC really missed an opportunity to go ahead and do that. Now, they only have one Mexican champion in Alexa Grasso. And who knows, she's going to lose that strap in her next fight. So, the UFC had a moment where they could have had three championship fights in Mexico, and that's gone. Fortunately, the Mexican fans do travel, and they still brought the environment there.
0: Another thing to give flowers on in, in terms of this fight card is, how about the UFC with that video of, of Robbie Lawler? Dana White joked after the fact. He said, he goes, yeah, it was a good thing we had that video package queued up because we still had 25 minutes left in our broadcast on ABC with no more fights left. And, you know, and I mean, look, I never believe uh, retirement's in mixed martial arts. Um, when, when I listened to what Robbie said, pre-fight, post-fight, I, my takeaway was, this is a guy who's saying, man, my body just can't take the the what training camp is.
1: I can't blame him. He's been doing it since 2001. He has been doing training camps and training in mixed martial arts for like 23 freaking years. And he started off in the military fighting system. In the old days, those dudes were insane. Then he went to American top team. He has to be tired, dude. Imagine doing fight camp for two decades, Jason. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad he won and went out on top. And he mentioned in the post-fight interview that he noticed that morning his feet were moving good. And you could tell two seconds into that fight, he was he was he was it was a magical night. The the good lord above was with Robbie Lawler in that mm-hmm. cage, and he reminded us of why Robbie's so great. Uh, you know, let's take – and, yes, that video package was epic, and the UFC should be proud of them for doing that and having that moment with the picture-in-picture of Robbie being emotional. Robbie's a hard guy to get to be emotional. They got him to be emotional. But speaking of giving them the flowers, I mean, let's just take a quick look back on on Robbie's career. I mean, it's worth mentioning because, like, I was listening to a podcast I really like, the Bill Simmons podcast. Bill Simmons is probably my favorite sports media personality. I just grew up on him but my man went to uh, the ufc event and he was talking about like robbie lawler and he was like yeah robbie lawler he's like that nba player who's like really entertaining but he never won anything and i wanted to pull my hair out i'm like he won the fn ufc welterweight championship what the hell is wrong with you but seriously dude robbie lawler's career is crazy here's the i think the craziest thing about his career you could legitimately make the case that robbie lawler had the best fight of the year in 2014 against johnny hendricks no doubt he had the best fight of the year in 2015 against rory and then he probably had the best fight of the year in 2016 against carlos condit so you can make the case that robbie lawler was a part of the best fights of the years in three straight years and that's already after a career where he started off the ufc looking amazing crazy highlight reel over tiki Gosen when tiki ghost was talking mad crap about him before at ufc 40. then he got on, on a downward spiral he left the UFC after getting tapped out by Tanner and losing to Nick Diaz. Had a run in various promotions like Icon Sport, King of the Cage, Pride, IFL. He won the Elite XC Middleweight Championship over Shogun's brother. Had a couple fights against Scott Smith and Elite XC. Went to Force, where I believe his two three biggest highlights have to be knocking Matt Lund the F out. Flying knee knockout over Alan Amagoff and most importantly, my number one Robbie Lawler, strike force memory, Melvin Manhoff destroyed his leg. And on basically one leg he knocked out Manhoff. And then Robbie went to the UFC, had that second run, and became UFC World Toy Champion.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I I hope he stays retired, but uh, you know, you know, he, he gets asked, you know, about Connor tweeting about him and, and you kind of see that twinkle in his eye like but Dana White did say that, that there's been a lot of conversation between him and Robbie, and definitely sounds like that Robbie is done there. Uh, you know, when you talk about the prelims, you, you got to throw out uh, Denise Gomes going out there and getting a win in 20 seconds. We already mentioned about Jesus Aguilar getting the win there in 17 seconds. Uh, Cameron Simon, not really surprised. I talked about it last week. He was my most confident play just because always bet against Alaska FC fighters. bro. bro. Uh,
1: First off, that was that was an amazing advice by you, and I'm always gonna take it. You can't just like dude, Denise Gomes was such a dog, against Yasmin she has been bro. The UFC is ready. I was ready to give like the championship around Yurigi's race as soon as she left the octagon. Her and Bo Nico were the like one more person. We would have had the whole blue man group involved because they're the blue chippers of the blue chippers. Dude, how big of a dog was Denise Gomez? Was she like uh was she like like plus
0: eight hundred. Nah, no. Even... Nah, I I think she was like a two to one, maybe two and a half to one betting on her dog.
1: She was two and a half to one. Let me see. Yeah, three, 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 plus three ten. Uh, people thought Yasmin was going to tool her, and she just went out one punch, put her down. Jason, give Denise Go, Go, hmm. Gomez flowers, or I, I guess it's Denise Gomez, which is an interesting way to say the name. That's how they were saying it on commentary, which that threw me off. But hey, bro. Yeah, shout out to her, bro. That was that was a great upset, man. I just I just had to like do a full stop. Shout out, great upset. I mean, that was like I was ready. It's like, is Val Woodburn going to go out there and put on a guillotine <laughs> choke? But no, that uh, that didn't happen.
0: That was another big takeaway for me was when Bo Nickel made the walk, and like I'm looking around this bar, and I'm like, wow, people are really into Bo Nickel, and Bo Nickel just. I mean, here here's the only thing I wonder about Bo Nickel. And we've seen this happen in mixed martial arts so many times, highly accomplished wrestler starts getting some knockouts. They start to forget who they are.
1: It's a good point. He's not the best striker in the, in the, in the, in the division. He's a good striker. He's not going to go out there and fight the best middleweight strikers and win today. He might do it eventually, but I don't care that his mom was a boxing coach. Uh, he, he, he's one hell of a wrestler. So that is one hell of a point you just made right there. That being said, Bo Nickel standup is pretty awesome. I mean, he showed it like he has great standup, but we're just talking about when he starts fighting the elite of the elite, which he will probably get there because he is the most exciting prospect. I don't know. I feel like he has more hype than John Jones, but whenever John Jones made it to the UFC, his performances were so amazing. The ceiling was like, I think who's the, who's the, maybe Henry Cejudo would be a similar prospect, but realistically, Bo Nickel, the one guy I think of when I think of the amount of hype he has is Aaron Pico. I think those two are similar, but the thing is Bo Nickel's living up to the hype. Granted, he still hasn't really fought a good fighter yet in terms of like a top I don't know, 30 UFC middleweight, but he's also only had five professional fights. So I guess I'll cut him some slack, but uh, I'm excited to see him fight again, man. The thing is he could probably go and step in the cage on Saturday because he literally did like nothing. But the most impressive thing about Bo Nickel was how he punched Val immediately got out of range. So Val couldn't do nothing and jumped right back in and put him down. I mean, that was really cool out of Bo.
0: And I get why fans want to kind of rush him into these big fights, but, I mean, like, at the end of the day, he's got five pro MMA fights. I, To me, if I'm in Bo Nichols' camp, his management, his coaches, like, to me, no reason to rush him into, you know, just t- take those natural progressions. And, you know, look, I think as long as he can stay healthy and, you know, he can fight three times a year, this is a guy is probably going to be fighting in the top 15 by, I think, the end of the next year.
1: Mm-hmm. He's probably two wins away from fighting in the top 15, realistically. I mean, he's going to get a step up. Mm-hmm. he's going to fight a dude with the Wikipedia profile next. And then uh, he'll probably fight, um, probably after that, he'll probably fight a guy with a name who's on the downward swing. And then, I don't know, we'll have what, Bo Nicko versus Chris Weidman? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see who yeah. he takes on.
0: <laughs> don't worry, Chris I mean, Weidman still thinks he can win the UFC middleweight title, which I'm like, hey, I man. Love the confidence. Love the confidence.
1: That would be a hell of a story. But uh, it's been a while since we've seen him look like the middleweight champion that he was. I mean, for Chris, I mean, he's had those crazy injuries. And literally the last time he looked like a middleweight champion was 2015, which is um, a long time ago.
0: Yeah, that that was a long long time time ago. ago. Uh,
1: I I want to mention one quick thing just for the record, because I hate when people do hyperboles. So I just want to say I looked up the best UFC cards of all time. I don't think this was the best UFC card of all time. It's very close, but when I looked at Cage Match, not Cage Match—that's a wrestling website—I uh, want to say it was Tapology that gave me the list. Here were the top three.
2: Okay.
1: Um, just let me know which one you think is the best one, Jason. I'm going to read off the main cards. Maybe there's some stuff on the prelims that was great. That was that. But anyways, UFC 217. GSP versus Bisping, TJ Dillashaw versus Cody Garbrandt, Rose versus Ioana on Stephen Thompson versus Jorge Masvidal, Paulo Costa versus Johnny Hendricks, UFC 205, okay. Connor versus Eddie Alvarez, Tyron Woodley versus Stephen Thompson, Ioana on Jay Chick versus Carolina Kolokavich, Yo Romero and Chris Weidman, where you all knocked out the fly me, Misha and Raquel Pennington. And lastly, the pay per view that I think is the best pay per view of all time. Connor and Chad Mendez, Lawler McDonald, Stevens Bermudez, Gunnar Nosen, Brandon Thatch, Brad Pickett, Thomas Almeida. So I think that that last card is the best win of all time. But I will also say UFC 290 isn't that far off some of those best pay-per-views of all time.
0: Yeah, uh, 205 would be third on that list of those three cards. Mm I mean, 217 was really good, man. You you had Rose upsetting um, Joanna. well, that was one where she—that was her first win against her, right?
1: Yeah, I believe so. I'm going to double check.
0: Um, but I think you're probably right on, on on the best of those three, though.
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking best pay-per-view of all time, and I think if you look at that main card, that's pretty close because literally, Pantoja and Moreno is the fight of the year. Volk is just a, an expression dominance. Mm-hmm. Driacus gives us like that rose moment of like he rises up. And then Hooker Jalen Turner was just a beautiful story. I mean, dude. what a beautiful story we saw in that octagon,
0: dude. The sound when Jalen Turner landed that head kick—I mean, probably knocks. I mean, I, I kind—I want to say Jalen posted on his Facebook basically like he, he basically crediting Dan Hooker for being uh, tough as can be. Um,
1: well, dude, that's probably where Dan Hooker broke his orbital bone because they said. He broke his orbital bone and his arm in that fight. So Yeah,
0: yeah, and did it what I, he broke the his arm in the second round?
1: Is that where he yeah. Or
0: no, no, it was, uh, it was yeah, cuz I think initially Dana White called it a broken wrist, but now, I, mean, I I saw a video of him watching that, but man, like And doesn't get the like, those two guys went out there and went to battle. Now, Jalen Turner would not have, quote unquote, been eligible for a fight night bonus because he missed weight. But those two guys, they had to feel pretty confident walking out of the cage, like, all right, we're the fight of the night. We're the fight of the night.
1: (laughs) I know, right? It was an amazing fight. And then Moreno Panto. I mean, after watching five minutes of Moreno Pantosha, they knew they were going to win fight of the night because those two dudes were just like, all anyone, all I could think of was like, Damn, Dana White wanted to get rid of this division. Brandon Moreno is one of the most exciting fighters in this roster. And Pantoja was game as well. well that that was
0: just... But a let's lot. be honest about it. Like When there was all that discussion, were people all in on the men's 125-pound division?
1: Absolutely not. It was iffy. It was super iffy. It was a shallow weight class. And I believe at the time there was no champion or maybe there was... Was DJ, was DJ champion at the time?
0: DJ was a okay. champion.
1: And very shortly after, DJ was traded to 1FC for Ben Askren.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's not like flyweight was strong, but there were plenty of people. And I feel like myself included. Like, I feel like there are people, like on this podcast, I advocated and said they should keep the flyweight division. But it was clear that things, yeah, things were not looking good. But look at where we're at today. The flyweight division is really, really exciting um the main event picture was interesting there isn't a whole lot of challengers but hey i mean one of the best knockouts of the night came from, from a flyweight and the best fight of the night and the fight of the year came from Pantosha moreno
0: here's my question about when so as i'm sitting there um watching this fight card when they say 49 46 brandon moreno i'm like huh what yeah I mean, you, and, that, and and look, and I think Ben Cartlidge is a great MMA judge. But the thing that blows my mind, so if you look at the other two scorecards here from uh, Camigio and Cleary, they were the exact same scorecards. 1, 3, and 5 for Pantoja. Ben Cartlidge gives Pantoja the first round, but then he gives rounds 2 through 5 for Bram Moreno. And I'm like, to me, I don't know how you score the fifth round for panto for uh excuse me for moreno and, and so j- just one of those odd scorecards i mean look i think ben carter is a great uh mma judge i think he's one of the best judges we have but that's just it when i heard them announce that scorecard in my mind i was like huh
1: yeah yeah i, I um i agree with you that was questionable i i didn't take notes on the on the scores i feel like i actually had it three two but I honestly might have had it four one. I can't remember how he scored round four. I just remember how I felt. I mean it was it was back and forth and it was a, a lot of times it was a strong discussion on like is what is the grappling of Pantoja enough to supersede the stand-up advantage that Brandon had in a couple of rounds. And, and a lot of times the grappling was superior, but there was one round where Brandon ended it strong. After Pantoja maybe had his back, and I'm like, that's a really close round. There's one, um, speaking of judging, I need to look at these scorecards because I want to take a look. So Tetsuro Tyra took on Edgar Chares,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in round two, I believe it's round two, Ty- Tyra. So everybody gave the round to Tyra, but is that not the round where Ch- Charez put which round did, Ch- did Chara's end it nearly tapping out Tyra? Was it round two? I forget. Do you know what I'm, sure. you know what I'm talking about, though?
0: Yeah, I know you're
1: talking about Okay. Chara's had the choke on Tyra. Tyra was going to tap out if the... F- I believe I'm thinking about... I believe I'm. this is the right fight. Maybe I'm thinking of a different fight. But I think I'm thinking about this fight. Where Tyra's about to tap out, and then Chara's doesn't get the round on the scorecards, which... If I'm looking at the judging criteria and I'm thinking that the most important thing is like significant damage or fight ending, like almost ending the fight, I almost wonder like, should that not supersede the positional dominance and the round should have gone to Charez, but uh, I probably should have took down notes. so I had my facts in order, but that was a, yeah. I mean, uh, the reason why uh, I first thought it was round two, but then I see that. All three judges scored at 10-8 Tyra, so maybe uh, I'm off. I think you're thinking round three. Is that what happened in round
0: three? Yeah, I think you're thinking, you're thinking about round three.
1: Damn, all three judges gave it to Chara, so I'm just I'm full of crap then. Yeah, I'm it was – was, was, yeah. was that the last thing that happened in the fight? Was it, Man, you see, that's what – I'm an idiot. So yeah, that it, was a uh, to me, sidetrack. it
0: becomes something you forget just because of how many uh, these finishes that we had and, and how good the, you know the co-main event was. Um, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see what the UFC does with Pantoja next. I mean, I, I think we do got to get to a point of can we have a UFC flyweight title fight that does not involve Bram Moreno at this point? Um, Dude,
1: no, and- we can't. We can't. Well, you want to see Amir Al fight? For the title or not a rematch in the fight of the year, Jason?
0: Why not brand Roy Val? The guy did what AN as a backup fighter.
1: Yeah, that's way more exciting. Okay. I um, mean you're out Bosley, take a seat back. I'm sorry, bro. Your fight against Kai Kaur, Perhaps is kind of boring. Uh you are really close to getting a championship fight. All right. I mean I'm, I, I, I'm I mean Roy Val.
0: They they had a great matchup last Saturday, but he's now 0 three against Pantoja. You're right. You're
1: right. That's a solid I know, I know I'm
0: right. You don't got to tell me. I know I'm right.
1: Well, you know, the, the score. <laughs> the scores in that first fight was a little questionable, Jason. All right? So you may have been wrong. All right. The scores in that first fight could have gone either way. For the second fight, Pantoja beat the hell out of him. That being said, if you have... What has more juice? Pantoja versus Moreno four, Pantoja versus Roy Val. What does the casual fan care more about? They care more about that fourth fight. I agree. I agree. That being said... You can always be patient. You, you, we have had an oversaturation of Brandon Moreno rematches in the flyweight championship picture. So, it, it, it you know, you could do Roy Val versus Pantoja, Albozzi versus Moreno, and then figure things out there. I, I guess you're, you're right about that. I mean, you, you don't have to twist my arm too much to, to get with the program.
0: Now, you want to talk about what's not a good look for the UFC? What? That Pantoja was a Uber Eats driver until he got a performance of the night bonus against Brandon Roy Val two fights ago.
1: That's pathetic.
0: So I went there. So I went to look at his resume. At that, he had 10 fights in the UFC prior to his matchup against Brandon Roy Val.
1: And I would imagine he's been basically a top 15 fighter in his weight class for the majority of that. Like, um, I mean,
0: look, I, you know, we have no idea what his financial situation, you know, did he make bad financial decisions? I don't know. But, but that's just, you know, the perception of that is just not a good look that one of the best fighters in division, not that long ago, had to have a part-time job as a Uber each driver to make ends meet, bro. He's a
1: professional athlete. You think the,
0: let's not even talk about the NBA.
1: I live in the Rio Grande Valley. You know what we have in the Rio Grande Valley? An NBA G-League team, mm-hmm. you think there's a single person on that G-League team that is an Uber Eats driver in their free time? I would say no. <laughs> the G-League. The
2: G-League. That's, that's insane. Yeah.
1: Pantoja is a top 15 fighter in his weight class for a very long period of time. This promotion is making an absurd amount of money. I heard an amazing thing on the Freakonomics podcast where they interviewed Ari Emanuel. And I'm like, man, Endeavor is really, really smart, but they're really messed up. And here's what's messed up about Endeavor. If they own a sport, that means the performers in that sport probably make a small percentage of the revenue. They own the UFC. Small percentage of the revenue. Definitely not 50%. WWE performers do not make 50% of WWE revenue. They make far less. If they represent an athlete, they are a part of a sport that makes 50% revenue, shares 50% revenue with the athlete. So all the people they represent get a fair chunk of the pie. But if they own the people that is giving out pieces of the pie, they give out small pieces. Endeavors, they're they 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 uh, do not give a crap about giving people money, which I mean, granted, that's their business. Their business is to make money. But at the end of the day, it's really messed up. The UFC doesn't give their fighters a 50 or 45% piece of the pie.
0: It's just a it's just a bad look. I mean, it's just a bad look, you know. Um and, and obviously hopefully, you know, money's not a problem there. Um so we'll see what happens there. And of course Volkanovsky goes out there. I, I think the clash of heads does play I- into it a little bit. But uh Volk goes out there and, and I tweeted after it. I mean, to me he yeah. is the featherweight goat. Um, you know, leading into this when I was I went back and, and I was looking at the, the resumes of the clear top three featherweights of, of, of all time. Jose Aldo, Alexander Volkanovsky, and Max Holloway. Obviously, if you say Jose Aldo is number one, Volk has to be number two, Holloway has to be number three. I, I, there's no... To me, you cannot put Holloway in front of Volkanovski after the battles they've had. You know, the, the one thing I would say about Jose Aldo is, I mean, it, it's the length of time that he dominated this division. And he just always seemed two or three steps ahead of his competition. That's where I kind of think Volk is right now.
1: Yeah, Volk is definitely... In that exact same way, where it's just like, realistically, there's nobody on featherweight that they can touch him right now. It's a really close one. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to call Volk. I think to consider Volkanovski the best featherweight of all time, I want to see him get as many featherweight championship defenses as um, Jose Aldo. We do that. And that's not even counting the the WBC featherweight championship defenses, which... When Aldo was in the WEC, he was competing against the best featherweights in the world. So, for all intents and purposes, Jose Aldo won. Let's see. Let's see how many championship fights he won at featherweight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I can't count.
0: Worth I, count. Think it was, I think. I think. I think I count on seven.
1: No, but let's include the WEC ones, okay? Because those those were also those were also against the best featherweights in the world, right? Like he beat Mike Brown. Then he fought Uriah Faber. Then he beat Manny Gambirian, who really isn't one of the best featherweights in the world. But Faber and Brown certainly were. Yeah. So we're talking about basically more or less, because I can't count and I'm an idiot, he won 10 championship fights, give or take, if you include the interim championship yeah. fight too. That's crazy. Volk's right there, though. And um, look, against Jair Rodriguez, man, I, it was over as soon as he took him down in round one. Oh, yeah, Volk's got this in the bag. Like, he's got this in the bag. He's probably the better stand-up fighter. He's probably the better wrestler. That being said, the stand-up was close. Respect to Yair. He, he made it interesting with his kicks, his activity, his speed, his aggression. It wasn't completely one-way beatdown. Good call by you to bring up that headbutt. I mean, the finish didn't happen right after it, but it probably happened like a minute and 15 seconds after it, and that was a harsh headbutt.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah it, it, it ha- yeah, it has to play into it, but I mean, look, Volk is. I mean, I mean, look, it's it's amazing what he's able to do, and and I heard uh, on another podcast they said is the most likable UFC champion, and I think the answer is probably yes.
1: Yeah, like I told you, literally when I go up and down the list, the most other fighter who I think has zero haters is Alexa Grasso, but Volkanovsky is just way more popular. He's just he is the most likable guy, and I tell you what, I get. You know, some people say, "Oh, there's no featherweight challenger." No, there is. I mean, sign me up for a fight with Volkanovski and Taporia. Oh yeah, I no, mean,
0: no question about it. I mean, like it's I'm gonna excited. be. But it's interesting what the UFC is going to do here. Obviously, they want Mahachev to headline the card in Abu Dhabi in October. And Charles Oliveira last week said he's not going to be ready for October, okay? So it takes him out of the equation. You have Poirier and you here at the end of the month. Either one of those could be an option, potentially, for that fight. If not, I think it's it's probably Volkanovski. Uh, yeah, now, Volcano- but now, the thing is Volkanovski has, has to have surgery on his elbow. Looks to be a six- to eight-week timetable.
1: I just want to see Volk fight at featherweight. I want to see maybe be the best featherweight in the world. I just what I want to see. Um, we'll see. I mean, how about this? Let me just ask you this. I was thinking about this fight last night. If Volkanovski went up to lightweight and he took on Charles Oliveira next, not that that's going to happen. I just want to know who would you pick to win that fight at lightweight? Who would you pick to win, Volk or Charles Oliveira?
0: I, I think Volk. Just because Olivera always finds himself in bad situations.
1: Yeah, but he usually taps people out whenever he does. But you're right. I mean, Volk has enough maturity to not fall victim. But, yeah, I was thinking about that fight. I'm like, I would love to see that fight. Dude, we can't. uh, Jason, I'm going to need you to do this. Uh, I forgot what he said. Could you please read what Odd and Sonia said in the cage uh, to uh, Joikas to please please?
0: The 23 and Me comments?
1: <laughs> I want you to read every word.
0: I want to nope. see you get canceled in real time. Oh. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's, I, I think for the UFC, this is what they want. They wanted a DDP win here to set up this matchup against Izzy. We all know what it is. I mean, look, and, and I heard someone else say this. Look, DDP is the one who started all this. I mean, let, let's, let's talk, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he talked about how he was the real African. Those yeah. were DDP's words. He so, you, 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 and the one thing, the one image I get in my head is when DDP wins and they, they pan over to Izzy and just the death stare, he is it looking at DDP in, in the cage. That to me was like, it, it, I, I remember there was something that came to my Facebook memories the other day from UFC. I want to say it was UFC 200, where Connor's in a stand and he's watching Aldo and he's just staring down Aldo. And you know, so that that to me, it's it's those moments. And I mean, look, it's I can only imagine what the build-up to that fight's going to be like. But man, great, it, yeah. great performance by DDP.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I thought Whitaker was going to beat him. I really did. I was I was ready to fade Dreykus. after watching so many of his performances heading up into this fight. There were many moments where there were signs of weakness, signs of cardio playing a role, and I just thought against Robert Whitaker. It was going to get exposed, and Drakus looked great, and Whitaker had his moments, but Drakus eventually hurt him and put him away. DDP performed, and he earned himself a middleweight championship fight. This fight is going to be huge. Izzy's run at middleweight has been phenomenal, not only as a, a fighter, but as a businessman. He's been a part of big fights. DDP DDP and Odd and Sonia, it's gonna be a big pay per view event. Mm-hmm. Izzy and is probably. How many other guys on this roster are bigger stars than him, other than Connor and Jones? Is he number three? Is there someone else that's above Izzy right now in terms of star power, or is uh, not, not
0: outside him? of Jones and Connor?
1: So yeah, he's a number three draw, and yeah, I um, I'm excited for it. I don't know who's gonna win. I will say, I felt like Izzy kind of punked DDP out in the cage. Because uh, I feel like that's what was happening there. That was like an alpha male thing that some fighters do, where they'll just yeah. get in a dude's face. They want no respect. I'm going to get the better of this moment. That being said, I I could see Izzy getting too emotional and, and, and setting himself up for failure because DDP can turn off his light switch in a moment's notice. It's a dangerous fight. It's an exciting fight. By God, it better happen internationally. I want to see it.
0: Yeah, it'll be it'll be UFC two ninety three in, uh, in uh, Sydney, Australia. And, You know, to me, it's yeah. interesting to see how the UFC is going to kind of match make the middleweight division because so you got Caner and Strickland sitting out there. They've already had a matchup. It, it was a split decision win um, for Caner. So I mean, like you could run that one back. You know, but then you know, where's Hamzat Chamayev fit in this equation? Is Chamayev going to fight one seventy? He's going to fight eighty five. You know, Kamar Usman was you know talking about that potential matchup. Last week. So, to me, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how they match up this division going forward. But we all know what the top fight is going to be in for what, Robert Whitaker, What about
1: uh, Strickland and Whitaker?
0: That's one. I, I would it shock you if the UFC tried to book Whitaker versus Hamzat?
1: No. <laughs> what about Strickland and Hamzat? <laughs> yeah, uh, Whitaker and Hamzat's a fight tonight because that's the uh, Joe Sobo matchup. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, when's Hamzat fighting, bro?
0: What the hell? As someone asked Dana about last week, and he just basically gave the whole, well, we're working on it.
1: It's been a long time, man.
0: I think it was October last year, last time we saw Hamzat.
1: Yeah, when you fought Kevin Holland? That's crazy. That's yeah. September. September 10, 2022. Jeez Louise. Get him yeah, because yeah, remember, he,
0: he was supposed to fight uh, Nate Diaz, and he missed weight horribly, and then the UFC uh, shook everything up. Um, you know, so now I want to get to the post-fight press conference. Okay. Our guy, Dana White. Yeah. This is Dana on Saturday, and this is about the whole Conor McGregor and you the situation. Conor tweeted a little Santa Claus emoji and said he wants to return in December. Is there any update on that possibly happening? L- listen, I...
2: I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, there's a lot of business that needs to be handled before we talk about this. And I was doing an interview on Friday and a bunch of fucking scumbags wrote stories that I said, fuck Sada." I don't care what Sada says. It's not even remotely close to what I said. So first of all, I'd like to say fuck you to everybody that wrote that story, number one. And number two, there's a lot of stuff that has to go on before, uh, you, you know, he fights. So, It's not even, my point was, no matter who's talking about it, whether it's USADA or whoever and this and that, it's not even worth talking about right now. Everybody wants to keep bringing it up so that pieces of shit can write stories like that. Um, Never did I say, I don't give a shit what USADA thinks or disrespecting USADA or anything like that. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I don't know how this whole thing's going to play out. Let's wait and see. All
0: right. So let's go to the interview on Friday to hear exactly what Dana White said. Will we see McGregor versus Michael Chandler on one of those cards? I hope so. Do you yeah, think there's still a chance of them fighting this year? 100%.
2: Yeah. Is Conor back in the USADA pool from what He's you not. Understand? He's not. Okay. So USADA has said it's going to be six months before he can compete again um, when he re-enters the, the pool. Is that something that the UFC is still going to hold true to? We'll, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, they're, they're saying that now, but we don't, who knows? I don't talk about shit until shit happens. You know what I mean? To sit here and, and, and think hypothetically how a million different things could happen, no idea. I'm focused on what's happening this Saturday and the next Saturday. And you know what I mean? UFC 300 isn't even in my mind right now. The, the Connor thing, who the hell knows who, how that's going to play out. Who cares what USADA says? We'll see what happens when it happens. Um, so I don't know.
0: So I went to the Google machine. And I went, Dana White, fuck USADA. I could not find any article, and Ben Folks, I thought, had a tweet that really summed up this great. He said, he goes, one of my favorite genres of UFC stories is Dana White gets mad at people for quoting him accurately. He literally said, who cares what USADA says? He said it in a video camera. That was on Thursday by Saturday. Nope, never said that. And you're a scumbag <laughs> if you said he did. Like, like... All right, Dana, I want you to show me the story where someone wrote, you said, fuck you, Sada."
1: Yeah. Uh, look, I'll say this. Dana's Dana. We know how he is. He creates his own reality. But first off, like there weren't these articles saying that he said that. I will say, listening to his two comments... I get what he's saying with the second comment. I feel like his first comment came across like what he was trying to say. Like when he had further elaborated that when he said, who cares about USADA? I actually believe him that he was meaning it in a way where it was like, who cares? Let's just like, there's so much crap going on. Like, that's the last thing I'm thinking about. Like, I, I feel like he didn't say it in a way like, I don't care what USADA thing. Screw them. It wasn't reported that way, though. But I, I think it's worth mentioning that I think in Dana's own reality, he isn't lying. You know what I mean? Like he isn't lying. He just should be more careful with his words because his words matter. But I actually think he believes what he's saying, and but yeah. He,
0: but he's made some comments recently that it's very clear that and and maybe there's something going on behind the scenes between the UFC and USADA. But it, it just seems like he's he's aggravated about USADA
1: well I think more so than his comments when it comes to USADA it's the actions throughout the years that speak louder than the comments I mean the Brock I mean
0: I mean and look I think the Mark Hunt lawsuit's got to play a little bit into this but the other question is and we don't know the answer is why has Conor McGregor not re-entered the USADA pool
1: yeah, also don't forget the fact that he has a sexual assault allegation that happened in the NBA finals that we've all just mm-hmm. forgotten about one month later.
0: Oh, I mean, you're, dude. You're spot up, but that that to me, like, if you told me I could ask Conor McGregor one question in relation to fighting, that question would be is why have you not re-entered a solid drug testing pool? Yeah. If you're yeah. truly wanting to come back and fight, and you know you have to re-enter this drug testing pool. Why are you delaying it? Look, perception is not always reality, but right now it just looks like there's what's the reason? Why do you not want to get drug tested?
1: Well, he's probably, yeah. I mean, and the answer is probably, I don't know. He's on drugs.
0: I mean, look, Um, if you were taking something that was prescribed to you by a doctor that may be on the ban list because your injury, okay. But we're well past that.
1: Yeah, and Connor's yoked, bro. I mean, Connors is, I mean, yeah, he, he went straight Alistair Overeem horse meat with the side of steroids diet. Like, uh, sorry, but it's obvious. And the fact that he hasn't entered the USADA testing pool, I mean, that's, yeah, that's where it is. I mean, the dude's entered more bathrooms with women than the freaking testing pool. So he's got to do that. But honestly, I don't want to see him fight. I, I don't want to see him fight until he gets cleared because it's just like, we don't need that as a sport. We don't need to have people with criminal accusations fighting unless they're cleared. It's just like, we have enough great fighters on this roster. It's, it's like the, the promotion should hold itself to a higher standard than that. Mm -hmm. They should stop enabling people who do bad things. They, they should really do that. That that's my belief. And in addition to that, it's kind of clear he's gaming the system to get an unfair advantage over an opponent. And we've passed the point of the prime criticism of fighters using performance enhancing drugs. To fight, the prime of that was the Vitor Belfort TRT mm-hmm. time. And it's when we had little patients and yeah. and as soon as someone got outed as a TRT user, they were just um, they were hated. Now we've kind of who, who we kind of don't talk about performance enhancing drugs, but and, yeah, it, it it to me obviously there's no proof, but if you use common sense, mm-hmm. that's where you see some things that make sense.
0: I'm sure there is a ton going on behind the scenes, but like, it's every time it gets ass, it just, it... (sighs) I think Dana has to understand why people have the perception that they have right now. And and the fact is, is like he clearly created his own narrative, probably because once that video with TSN went out, I'm sure there was probably some conversation between USADA and the UFC. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago that when Dana White was asked about USADA, he's like, go ask Jeff Navisky. He's one of those handles that's like, "Well, no, you're the guy who runs this company.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's. You're you're right in that. There's been a lot of moments that have had one scratching their head whenever he's talking about Usada.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, you're it just, right.
1: That's that's worth noting. It, it, who knows where this trail leads? I I don't know. I mean, where do you think it leads? Where do you think we go from here?
0: I don't think Conor's going to go through six months of testing before he fights. I think Conor's yeah. going to headline the December card, and the UFC is just going to do what they want to do. I mean, it, 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 it's one of those things of. Is Dana pissed at Usada because he's like, "Look, this is what I want to do, and you're trying to f my plans." And it's like, in the day, whoa. Henry Cejudo went through six months of testing before he returned. We all yeah. now we all know the difference between Henry Cejudo and Conor McGregor, but it, it's just it's one of these things of like, "Hey, Conor, why will you not re-enter the drug testing pool?"
1: It's not like the rules have changed. The rules have been the same this whole time. It's been clear. Six months of testing. This isn't something that just happened on the spur of the moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's why the UFC, Connor Dana has no right to force this fight to happen without the six months of testing. Especially when you there's a right to be suspicious. It's suspicious of Connor cheating. When you look at his physical transformation. hmm There should be those six months. Mm -hmm. It'd be just as ridiculous as not testing Brock before the Mark Hunt fight.
0: And I wonder how much that, I wonder from the UFC legal department, how much they are maybe having those conversations with Dana, Hunter and going, guys, we have this pending litigation sitting here. If you, you, if you just let Connor fight without going through the six months, that's probably going to get brought up in court.
1: And let's say he, they do, and Conor knocks out Michael Chandler. You don't think there's a lawyer that's going to call Michael Chandler?
0: Oh, you know it. it. Oh, you know. Yeah. I, I, if you're, I, I look at this like if you're Michael Chandler, and I mean he literally did a video like a week or two ago where Usada came to his house to do his drug testing. Like he's going through the process, and it just I wonder if it comes a point if you're if you're Chandler. Do you go, okay, at some point, I have to fight. I can't sit here and wait for God knows how long because Connor doesn't want to get drug tested.
1: Yeah, because that's what he does. He's a fighter, or or what? He's going to start having to drive for Uber Eats?
0: (laughs) I would hope not. (laughs) Let's just say this. I mean, we're taping this here on Tuesday morning. New episode of The Ultimate Fire comes out. We'll see if Connor's team can get a win.
1: This is the seventh fight, right? So he's yeah. going six. <laughs> yeah. Two more six. opportunities to possibly. uh We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Well, do you want to move on to other promotions and making stuff up? Oh yeah. Just, oh, you what, you, what, you, what, the, you the want to talk a little PFL? <laughs>
0: that's
1: the topic we're on.
0: Yeah. We're so so uh it's literally labeled in our run sheet: PFL controversy at PFL Europe event. So, I, I see this tweet from PFL Europe talking about an official decision um, for Alex and Duque uh, was changed. And this is so it was initially ruled a 29 28 times three unanimous decision for Duque. And then their tweet says for league purposes, the fight result is a unanimous draw due to Duque missing weight. Per PFL Europe rules, he was deducted one point from the judge's scorecards for league purposes for missing weight. Also, per the PFL Europe rules, in the case of a draw, the fighter who missed weight loses the tiebreaker. Therefore, Alex advances to the PFL Europe lightweight playoffs. And I I saw this great tweet from Nolan King uh, of MMA Junkie where he said, he goes, it's not a good look for a promotional play commission like this. Deduct points from season standings? Sure make a fire a fighter tournament ineligible? makes sense. but creating your own made up scorecards so that there are two separate results, not nah, that ain't it. And I went to the MA registry, the fight has not been put in the MA registry. Uh, my understanding is that the PFL contracted the South Carolina Commission to regulate this event over in Europe. I mean it, it's one of those things of in the bout agreements, is, or the promotional agreement that the fighter signs, is this in that agreement? I mean, it, it's it's a really weird situation. We well, look at what happened in Georgia with Nahon Schultz and, and Haushman Fio. Now this situation, like, and I saw uh, an MMA reporter say, like, like, look, I'm trying to get behind the PFL. I want to see the BFL succeed. But when you do shit like this, it makes me not interested in your product that you're just deciding what rules you want to make up.
1: And again, I think reading the situation... Don't think they're cha- – they're obviously not changing the official result, right? The official result is twenty nine twenty eight, but they're changing, like, the result that they are having as a promotion.
0: It's confusing.
1: It's, it's so, okay, really, all right. really confusing. Let's
0: say he gets another in there fighting the PFL. Are they going to announce that he has a draw on his record? But the official you – know, the official result is going to be that he won. Exactly.
1: That's exactly – that's a great way of explaining how effing confusing this is. This is another situation with the PFL where it's like there's an easy solution to doing what you want to do. Just punish the person who misses weight with the point format when it comes to the playoffs. You don't get any points. You get a point subtraction yeah. from your total, yeah. regardless of the result. Don't touch the, the results, don't touch the scorecard. Right, like even if it's not the official, official, official result, what is the official, official, official result? Well, it's just what we're saying. But if you communicate to the audience that this was a draw, then it's a it's so it's it's totally asked backwards. It's happening on a PFL Europe card. It, it, it's it's a bad look. Mm-hmm. It's insanely poor decision. The PFL is doing a lot of great things right, but they consistently make mistakes like this that is the definition of like an unforced error it's sad
0: i've said this to a couple people and when you look at the pfl they have some very smart sports business people who are running that company i just i have a lot of questions about who are the fight people that are involved in these decisions Who are the people that have been in the mixed martial arts industry that know how to run a fight promotion? And that's where it becomes, if, if the PFL buys Bellator, and I still don't think that's going to happen. Um, I I think you, you, my gut feeling, and and this is, I'm not reporting this. This is just my gut feeling. I feel like Saudi Arabia is probably where we're going to see purchase uh, Bellator. Um, but and of course, the bigger question with Bellator is like, well, what are you buying? You're just buying fighter contracts. What are you yeah. really buying? But if the PFL and Bellator were to merge, this would be my advice Scott Coker or Mike Cogan's running the company.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, that would be some really good advice, um, or at least bring them in to run the MA side of things, make sure crap like this doesn't happen.
0: I'm telling you, I, I don't think people realize this how involved Mike Hogan is in running Bellator. It's a surprising, uh,
1: surprising cha- you know turn in his career from you know being an MA manager to to this point. Um, yeah, I think I think that has to be the play if, if this acquisition does mm-hmm. happen, right? Uh, yeah, I mean I, I completely agree with you. This is a situation that makes that case clear. It's a situation that. The PFL should have never put themselves in. It's a situation that hurts their reputation for a PFL Europe card, and it makes no damn sense. It makes no damn sense, Jason.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, it's just, you, you want to see PFL succeed, but when you do stuff like this, this is what's, you know, I mean, look. No one's talking about anything else that happened in that PFL Europe event. They're only going to talk about the fact of what they did in you know th- this result here. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. Of course, uh, we got the UFC card comp here on Saturday, UFC Vegas 77. Uh, for those who have not seen, Jack Della Maddalena has been added to this fight card. Of course, uh, losing his fight there last week, uh, losing two fights there last week. Now he's going to take on Basile Hafez. Uh, Basile has uh, been on the regional scene, trains out of Factory X, so he's stepping up here on um, you know six days notice to take, or five days notice to take this matchup. But, you know, when I think about this fight card, I mean, look, it is not sexy at all on paper, but it makes me wonder how much this main event kind of is going to play into what the UFC does with the women's 135 pound title. You know, obviously Raquel Pennington, she was in Vegas last week. She's campaigning that she should get the matchup against Juliana Pena for the interim t- uh, for the vacated title. Holly Holm, you gotta think if she gets a win on Saturday, she's probably right there in the equation as well. And I don't know if you saw this. Misha Tate. I love the brutal honesty she had last week where she was like, yeah, none of us were going to beat a man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the
1: polar opposite. I don't know What do you get out of Julianna Pena is, is what Misha said. Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think look, the main event's a good fight. And now that Jack Della Maddalena is on the card, I'm pretty excited for that one. And I'm also kind of excited for Terrence McKinney um, mm-hmm. fighting. I know he's a dog against um Nazim Sarikov, But the only fight that's really, really good is Home and, and Bueno Silva. And, you know, Bueno Silva's a nice little three-fight win. And maybe she can take advantage and pull off the slide upset against Holly Holm. And I think if Myra wins, Pennington for sure gets the championship fight. I think if Holly wins, Holly gets the fight. Because clearly the UFC, you know, sees Holly Holm as a star, given the fact they put her in the spot to kind of carry this fight night card. Because otherwise, this fight night card sucks. I'm going to be so tired of watching this Fight Night card. I'm going to need to get a Prime energy drink to give myself a near heart attack to stay up and watch this Fight card. You know?
0: I, I guess I've never had Prime, but I guess it has like 280 calories or something in it. Okay.
1: Apparently, the issue is that the energy, because there's a hydration drink and the energy drink, and apparently the energy drink has like an absurd amount of caffeine. I don't know. I, oh, I will say I like I,
0: I, I thought it was like a sports drink.
1: But there's there's two, I believe. I mean, let's see, because one is like a Gatorade.
0: That's why, yeah, that, I thought it was like a, a, a sports drink. That's what I thought it was. Maybe I was wrong. Well, I
1: think there's, I think there's two. I think there's two. There's a hydration and there's a sports drink. But apparently, according to Chuck Schumer, the um, the uh, the energy drink has like the caffeine and like six cokes or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's why he called it that. That's why he called like uh, an investigation into Prime, but
0: um, of I all believe- things we're investigating. Hey, let's <laughs> investigate a, a sports drink that has too much caffeine in it.
1: Okay, okay, okay. It was, it's not like the CIA is investigating, you know. And, and there is an FDA that that's their responsibility. Yeah. But yes, that is hilarious. But yes, I, like, I, like,
0: look, <laughs> I would by speaking of these fights, I would imagine Jack Del Madalena is the co-main event of this fight card. By the way, speaking of Juliana Pena. are you you sure
1: dude are you sure you you can't put jack in the co event over park june or josh parisian yes you can you can't put him on there yes you can this fight card sucks
0: dude i i i don't know what i'm doing this weekend but uh i i you know this isn't at the top of my list let's just say that
1: (laughs) bro uh this is one of those fight nights but also, I'm we're, watching on the Stairmaster.
0: But we're in the dog days of sports in the summer, man. Like, this is, like, one of the worst weeks for sports. Because I remember, so I work at Terrestrial Radio. This would be a week where a lot of the full-time hosts would go on vacation, and then you knew, like, all right, Jason, we need you to fill in these days. And I'd be like, what the fuck am I going to talk about?
1: <laughs> what would you talk about? So if, if, if you're a well, sports okay. Sports
0: if, right. All right. If it was me today, I would be talking about the home run derby last night. You know, since we're here in Tampa, talk about Randy Orozarena. Like, Randy, could you not put some cleats on on the uh, cowboy boots and just go in there and try to hit some homers?
1: Yeah, that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. Uh, I you know I didn't
0: realize this until uh, I was watching Sports Center after home run derby last night. That 1993 was the first time the home run derby was actually televised. I thought that was crazy.
1: 1993. Oh, dude. It was Breaking in news. It, what's that? Did you see this? Uh, clearly, no. <laughs> Tyson Fury and Nganu? Uh,
0: Set I heard... for October 28th? Interesting. Okay. In
1: Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Oh, uh, that's not shocking. ES- <laughs> yeah, that, that was the least shocking part about it. According to ESPN, this was reported at 9 13 Eastern, so about 20 minutes when we were talking. Tyson Fury, and Francis Ngannou will fight October 28th in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia.
0: So, yeah, I'm just going to Mike Coppinger's. um, Yeah,
1: he's the one who reported it.
0: Just going through the tweets here. Uh, He does does say that the WBC president didn't respond to a text message asking if Fury's heavyweight title will be on the line. The rules and number of rounds are unclear at this time. And look, hey. Kudos to, to Francis to get in the fight, man. Kudos.
1: I'm just excited. Okay, first off, I'm excited for this fight. Like, I think Tyson's going to beat him bad. Can't overstate the fact that Tyson might eventually be past his prime at some point. Like, he's had a very long career, he still might be the best heavyweight in the world, I believe. Uh, but again, this is oh, he's only thirty-four years old. I thought Tyson Fury was a whole lot older than he actually is. I am completely wrong.
0: Maybe he I mean, Francis ain't a young guy, man.
1: I mean, I know like, Francis is older, right? Francis he, is an older fighter than Tyson. And I was talking crap about how I, Tyson.
0: I, I, I was talking to a, a a friend of mine about this, and we were kind of talking about is okay. So let's just say this is a pay per view. Let's just say it's let's say it's eighty dollars. How much of the NBA audience will buy that?
1: I don't know. I think the super fight hype will get there. I think the struggle is going to be the start time. You know, these fight, these pay-per-views that happen in Saudi Arabia don't really translate to the... What's the biggest Saudi Arabian pay-per-view?
0: Well, remember, that um, is- wasn't Fury's last fight in Saudi Arabia? And I want to say that was like a three the- clock an afternoon pay-per-view
1: so yeah i guess i mean people are going to find it people are going to buy it but it just feels like those pay-per-views that don't happen in prime time you know night time have a little less yeah. buzz than the ones that happen at three so that's kind of a shame um that it's not happening at like nine o'clock central 10 o'clock eastern but uh i think people are going to go and watch i mean Quite frankly, what I'm most excited about isn't even this fight getting booked. It's Francis getting booked in a fight in general. Like, we now have a timeline. He's going to fight in October, and then he's going to go to MMA. Because it had been a while since, you know, it had been a good while since he's been recovering from these surgeries. So now we at least have a game plan on paper of when we're going to see Francis in 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 an MMA cage.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, to me, it would be interesting just, you know, how interested people will be in terms of buying that pay-per-view. I mean, you're going to talk about it. It's going to be a week after the Abu Dhabi pay-per-view. You know, I mean, we all know how expensive it is to, to buy a UFC event. I mean, look, I, I hope this thing does well on pay-per-view, but like as I told somebody, I go, but what happens if this thing bombs on pay-per-view? And then you're the PFL and you go, uh-oh.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to bomb pay per view, but yeah, for the PFLU, that would be a big oh. But I, I really, I really think this is going to get some hype and people are going to buy it.
0: I mean, like, look, well, I, I'll, well, I find a bar that's going to have it, and you know, walk in on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I'll do that. But like, yeah, I think Fury walks right through them.
1: Yeah, yeah, which gives me hesitation to pour down eighty dollars to buy the pay per view, and 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 I think that, that's kind of what you're saying is like, why would you do that? Um, but I will, I will find a, you know, a bar to watch it or a way to watch it. Uh, but yeah, I I I guess I
0: saw a, I saw a story. So I guess someone on Sunday put the whole UFC 290 pay-per-view on Twitter because they have a verified account. So you put longer videos up there. I was like, wow. Uh, I I was actually surprised that a credential member of the UFC media actually, uh, wrote a story about it. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, look, Hey man. Kudos for Con- for uh, Francis, and uh, hopefully he's getting the bag. I would imagine, you know, maybe, maybe. I guess the question would be how much of his payday is tied into maybe how well this does on pay per view.
1: Well, if he's got, if he signed a good deal, not a lot. If he signed a good deal, how how he does well on pay per view is just going to be added to it. But he's got to have a hard guarantee, yeah. which I'm sure he does have.
0: So I mean, I in Saudi to- Arabia, yeah, I'm I'm sure someone's forking out a ton of money for this. So I was you know mentioning because you know. Dana really hasn't expressed what they're going to do with the 135-pound title. It made me kind of wonder, maybe could this be like, could they do like a, a, a four-woman tournament or something along those lines? But did you happen to see what Juliana Pena said last week? What craziness did she say? So here's the headline on MMA Junkie. Juliana Pena, a man New Year's rematch was a lot closer than people want to give me credit for. By the way, she lost five rounds of nothing. Let's, just, let's recall that. Uh, and I went, and, and, there, and by the way, there was one score card that was 50 to 43. This is her quote uh, to ESPN. I always want to fight her if she decides to return. Absolutely. There's fights that are on my bucket list of things that I want to get back, things that I want to do, and she's definitely one of them. I definitely think she knows that. I know that. Maybe not the general public knows that because all they're looking at is possibly highlights. What I would encourage fans to do is to go back and watch the second fight and actually take into account without the commentary or anything, just watch the fight. You see, it was a lot closer than people want to give me credit for. They see the drops, they see me getting knocked down, and yeah, it absolutely happened. But I will but I will let her take the time to go make those adjustments and revamp her entire style. I feel like it was kind of a snub for her to not let me have the same opportunity. I think the biggest thing for me is we are one-one. I think I'm the only person on the face of the planet that is loud or can say or call a man and a coward because what we do have is unfinished business and I definitely think She found the easy way out in retiring. Injuries happen in the sport, of course. It's my fault that I wasn't able to compete at that time. But also, she pulled out of our fight when we were supposed to fight the first time. She's pulled out of many fights in the past. It doesn't mean that that you go retire because of it. It's just a little frustrating. And I think that I was definitely showing my frustration there cage side, which, of course, that's what I'm going to do when they're sticking the camera in my face and asking me, what are my thoughts after every single round? So I got a little ahead of myself. I would love, here's what I would love ESPN to do. Get like Dom Cruz, Bisbing, Paul Felder to do a round table wash through with Juliana Pena on that second fight and say, all right, Juliana, tell us how this is a lot closer. Yeah. You got 50 to 43.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when Juliana says stuff that makes no sense, she ruins it, her credibility. She could go out there and be a UFC broadcaster, right? She has some ability. She's very talkative. But you can't put her as a UFC broadcaster because she has no credibility because she says things that are not true all the time.
0: Well, she she's also... She's involved with people in the pro wrestling business, and to me, it's very much... I get what they're trying to do with her, but it's also, like, we all saw the fight. Like, I get her frustration. I get her frustration with this fight not happening. But, like, I also feel like it's, like, man, Amanda Nunez has been doing this thing for a long time. If she wants to walk away and she's happy, let her go. Just let her go. But, like, I... I walk away from these comments thinking that this is her way of she's saying, if I keep saying these things, could I convince a man to come back and fight?
1: It's possible. Yeah. And, and maybe that's what she's going after. But Hey, I've, the good thing for her is she's probably going to fight for the championship next, whether it be a four woman tournament or whether it be just straight Pena versus Pennington or Pena versus Holly home. She's going to fight for the band and weight championship next. I, I a four woman tournament. I love tournaments. UFC usually doesn't so I, I don't think we'll see that. But uh yeah, I think for Juliana um I, I don't think Amanda's coming that door for her. I think if Amanda comes back it's to fight Kayla Harrison.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I mean, can we just get a Kayla Harrison fight?
1: I know. It's about time probably though, whenever the pay-per-view happens, we'll get Kayla's fight.
0: But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um I'm just I'm, I'm just pulling up this uh Mike Comer article on uh Fury and Ganu. This is my thing. Is this an exhibition fight?
1: Yeah, that's what we're going to... That's going to be uh we're going to have to figure out.
0: Yeah. By that's, the way, yeah, uh, when, when you talk about pound-for-pound um, pound rankings, why do I feel like Islam Hachev, everyone discredits him?
1: Where is he at? Number three?
0: Yeah. He's behind uh, Jones and in, in Volk.
1: Is it like... Yeah. I mean, it's just weird to have him behind Volk after he beat Volk. But I get why Volk's ahead of a longer track record. They had a close fight. Volk went up in weight.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it, but I think it just feels like everyone just, you know, has viewed that as while the official decision is, is Mahachev won, a lot of people say, no, Volk won that fight. I, exactly, but, yeah. But to me, Mahachev won the fight. I mean, I just, it's one of those things of, like, even last week, I was thinking, I was like, are we just disrespecting how good Islam Mahachev is?
1: I think so. I think so. His de- I mean, we need to see him fight in December, right? It's it, well. Was it I mean, the, he going to he's
0: to gonna, he's gonna headline the Abu Dhabi show. I mean, the, uh-huh. the, it's it's only the only question is is who is he headlining against? And if Oliveira's not going to be available for October, is Volk available even after having the surgery? And then, I mean, I can't. I. I mean, I guess the winner, Poye Gaethje, could turn around that quickly, but there's not a ton of options right now sitting there for for Mahachev.
1: No, there really isn't. There really, really isn't. It's literally just the winner of Poye Gaethje. Um, Maybe Michael Chandler. I don't know. Probably not. That's a bad idea. But, um, I mean, he's never fought Michael Chandler.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, by the way, of course, we didn't uh, talk about it. Jones Miocic guy announced last weekend. Uh, I don't know if did you did you see John Jones partying up in Vegas and then Dana White gets asked about it. Dana White very uncomfortable. He's like, "Yeah, I don't know if uh, Jones being in Vegas for more than twelve hours is a good thing."
1: No, there's a long track record of that being a very, very bad thing. But hopefully, he can stay away so we can get that awesome fight and it doesn't get canceled because of outside the cage situation from John Jones. Fingers crossed. I'll do some prayers that he stays out of Vegas.
0: Yeah. I mean, and the question I think then becomes is obviously there, you know, Dana talked about that there's been conversation with Leon Edwards, see what's next for him. And if you're Leon Edwards, I think if you had your choice, you say, give me the co main event of the Jones Miocic show since you get pay per view points, as opposed to maybe the co main event of um, the Mahatma Pay per view in Abu Dhabi.
1: That would be a wide difference in the amount of pay-per-view buys for Jones versus the amount of pay-per-view buys for this long. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, Jones Miocic should probably be the biggest pay-per-view we have all year, depending on if Connor fights Chandler in December. Um
0: Yeah. My my guess says Connor Chandler's in December. And that we're gonna get some crazy UFC doesn't give a crap what you Usada thinks.
1: Yeah, I think your gut is probably right. I yeah. agree with your gut.
0: I, I just, i was, by the way, I mean, speaking of pay reviews, just looking at what the UFC 291 is, uh, you got Alex Paheya making his uh, UFC 205-pound debut, and he looks absolutely shredded. With uh, I, I want to say Glover said he's walking around like 230 pounds.
1: Oh, my God. That is crazy. I'm sure he loved the lifestyle change. He's probably able to eat more protein and, and just have a more fulfilled and fun life, and the weight cuts will probably be better. But, yeah, Alex absolutely has one of the great physiques in this sport. I'm they're, excited they're, to see what he looks like at 205.
0: Yeah, there are some fun fights here at UFC 291. Um, you know, Michelle Pahaev versus Steven Thompson. That, that should be a fun fight. Uh, Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green. I have no idea what that fight looks like. Why do I just feel like Bobby Green's just going to be talking mad shit the whole fight?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a very wild and interesting contest, man. I mean, Bobby Green is a complete wild card, as is Tony Ferguson. Sign me up for that one. That's a fun matchmaking.
0: Derek Lewis is on the card against Marcus Regiro de Lima.
1: Okay, those two guys are going to hit each other really hard, I mean.
0: <laughs> Someone's likely getting knocked out in terms of that one, yeah. Uh, Kiesa against uh, Kevin Holland, a.k.a. as Dana White, like, like say, Big Mouth. I mean, Kevin Holland was ready to step up on a day's notice not even a day's notice, like 23 hours notice to fight Jack Della Maddalena.
1: Gotta love Kevin Holland.
2: Even now, if you're Michael Chiesa
0: and you're seeing that, you're like, Hey bro, we got a fight scheduled in three weeks.
2: Yeah. 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 How yeah, much been, respect
0: for me?
1: I'm in training camp, bro. Come on. Oh,
0: I love it. I, I mean, look any, anytime any a guy falls out at 70 or 85, you know, Kevin Holland is like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready to go.
1: Yeah. He's, he's ready. He's like, I, Simon, put me in coach. He's
0: always ready. I, I, it makes me wonder. Do you think he just like texts Dana Mealy? Hey Dana, Big Mouth here.
1: A hundred percent. I'm ready to fight. Hits him with a Snapchat. Maybe he's just right there. That's why you got to stay in Nevada. Got to be ready.
0: Gotta or does he? Fa- or does he FaceTime him? I wonder. In Dana White's phone, does it say Kevin Holland or does it say Big Mouth? Big Mouth. It's got to. <laughs> it's absolutely got to. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm I'm saying what man like we don't talk politics here. I you know, when Dana White talks about how he had these fight conversations with 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 Donald Trump, I'm fascinated what that conversation could be. Yeah, like like yeah, I really like I want to know is he asking about like dudes that are like on the first or second fight of a prelim? Like if that's the case, that's amazing.
1: You know, I don't think he knows who Jesus Aguilar is. You know, do, I, I I mean, I, do,
0: do you think if you walked into Mira Lago on Saturday, no, Trump's there for Trump, Trump's got ESPN plus uh, up and he's watching no, the early fights? I don't
1: think he's watching uh, the fight night this Saturday, Jason. I don't, I don't think he is because we're not.
0: <laughs> we're not watching. Okay, a lot. I, I'm, I'm gonna say it. this right now, okay? If the UFC said, hey, we're gonna do a watch along with Donald Trump and Dana White as a alternate broadcast, I can only imagine how many views that would get. Yeah. Oh, it'd yeah. be in the millions. Yeah. Guarantee it. would be in the millions. Yeah. Because people would want to know what does 45 say. Yeah. Whether, whether you, you like them, love them, hate them, you're indifferent, people would tune in just to see. Like, I would tune in just to hear what he would say about the fight game. That's what I would
1: do. Yeah, no, I, I do think having because look, look I'm just
0: I'm just saying this. I don't think Joe Biden's watching UFC. Yeah, yeah, maybe Hunter Hunter Biden might. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think um, he's that's not his sport of choice. Oh, oh,
0: you know what we haven't we didn't talk about what's that? The super fight. Oh, yeah. Are, are we going to get Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk? I don't know. I think after uh, Zuckerberg
1: completely stole Twitter, Elon's <laughs> probably not wanting to play ball with Zuckerberg at this point, I think. Uh, or maybe it's become a grudge match. But um, that would be so depressing. To see both those men shirtless fighting each other? God. I don't know. I mean, look, it, it sounds like it's serious or serious consideration for this fight to happen uh, somehow, but... No, uh, I don't want to see this. It's it's. I mean, well, maybe I do want to see it. The more I think about it,
0: but I'm yeah, just gonna. I'm I'm going to throw this out there. Hot take: that pay per view will sell hell of more than Fury and Ghana. Yeah,
1: it's not a hot take that the, a fight feature of the two most famous people on the on the two of the most famous people is going to be the like. Yeah, I mean,
0: literally, if, if that, that happens be, in a UFC cage. Every UFC fighter should be begging to be on that card.
1: Oh my God. I can't even imagine them getting the UFC pay-per-view treatment where they're wrapping their hands backstage and the pre-fight montage, you, maybe bring back face the pain. Uh,
0: have you noticed the what the sponsor is of the where the fighters are getting their hands wrapped? No.
1: Trojan. It? Uh, it's smart. Smart sponsor. I mean,
0: yeah. I saw that the other day. I'm like, oh my god, it's called the Trojan Trojan Rap Area. <laughs> Are you
1: serious? I'm dead serious, bro. I not noticed that. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious! That is hilarious. Uh, the, yeah, that's that's great marketing. I, and of I course,
0: notice. as I'm watching this, like, good lord, can the UFC put any more logos on that map? Yeah.
1: They can't. It looks like a damn NASCAR, as Dana White used to say.
0: Oh, good Lord. It's getting worse than a NASCAR. I mean, yeah,
1: it is, bro. It is getting worse than a NASCAR. I mean, there's not a single inch of of, of, of mat space at this point. They're going to start tattooing sponsors on the fighters like it's KSW. I,
0: I'm, I'm still – and amazing the fact that someone could pay to put your name on the UFC canvas, too, as a just regular Joe Schmo. That's pathetic.
1: It's, it's it's pathetic, it is. And then Pantoja's out here driving for Uber Eats. This promotion is pathetic with that aspect. When it comes to fighter pay, this promotion is pathetic. I just gotta say it, bro. Dude is driving for Uber Eats. You and and people can spend money putting on their name on their mats. Are you kidding me? Dude. This is pathetic. It's crazy. I mean, the UFC is the biggest interview of all time, but they're screwing over fighters so bad.
0: All right, here here to me would be the question. So the UFC's got like six hundred fighters or so under contract. How many of them have a part-time job that is not personal training in the gym they're in? That to me would be even, a fascinating number.
1: I couldn't even give you give you a, a number. I don't. I don't know. It. Um,
0: uh, yeah, I would I would especially think when you're talking about the, the low end of these guys who have one, two, three UFC fights, I I would bet that it's probably a high probability. And, and a lot of that is because there's just not a lot of money sitting on the regional scene. And, you know, like I, I saw a fighter that I'm friends with who, who just fought internationally. And he said, he's like, he goes, guys, there's money made internationally that's not involved in the UFC. And, and he was spot on. I mean, there is money out there um, if you want to do it. But the reality is, is that the goal for, you know, 95% of fighters, it's about fighting in the UFC.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is the goal for these guys. But uh, fortunately, not only internationally, but even nationally, you could do PFL, you could do Bellator, do bare knuckle, um, Make some money off sponsorships. There are other yeah, ways. there's
0: to make it. so there's a bare knuckle event here uh, in Tampa Bay area on Friday night. Mike Richmond's actually uh, headlining it. I'm the uh, yeah. kind of debating on going.
1: Think you should go, man. Think you but the problem is, it's like it's like
0: it's like a. I, I gotta find a DD though, otherwise yeah. I can't. You know, or I just gotta find a hotel near the venue.
1: Yeah, I think maybe a hotel would be a good idea. Have some fun.
0: Yeah, That's I mean, I, I've I've gone to one bare knuckle event. Um, yeah. It is what it is. I mean, yeah. I mean,
1: Mike Richmond, you know, is a good fighter and a good time. You know, dude, you
0: I remember when Mike Richmond was making 135. Dude's fighting 185 now.
1: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Love it. Love it. My man is eating his chicken wings.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if he still is, but Mike was uh, managing a strip club
1: so he's a bare knuckle fighter by day and are managing a strip club by night. That is one hell of a combination. Yeah, he was working for
0: uh Spearmint Rhino for, well, I don't know if he still is, but I know he was for a long time.
1: Wow. Wow. Spearmint Rhino?
0: Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a, it's a chain strip club. Oh, yeah, that's they have, cool. They have locations all across the country. You're a VIP member? Uh, <laughs> no, I am not a VIP
1: member. No. <laughs> are you and John Marion?
0: yeah uh in the money room yeah you know I me mean? i'm just flinging i'm just throwing money out yeah you know I me mean? i'm just flinging money out from this podcast game I'm just throwing out these ones yeah take it take yeah.
1: it <laughs> oh my god yeah
0: well,
1: yeah you know right? i hope you go to the bare knuckle maybe you can go to a power slap event and just see them, have a good time
0: dude dude i saw the highlight one dude getting knocked out And two dudes are holding him up, walking to the back, and I'm like, "This dude can't even stand on two feet. Can we sit the dude down?"
1: Yeah, it's crazy.
0: It's some of these knockouts. I mean, they're they're brutal. I mean, and like I, I, I forget who I saw who had this this video of this, of two, I'm guessing, two uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission inspectors holding this dude up and walking him to the back and he clearly has no strength in his legs. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, I I get there is an audience for Power Slap. I get that there is an audience. Apparently, there's going to be a video game. Not shocked. Not shocked.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's going to not be great. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm down with Power Slap, but obviously Dana White is not... And, uh, yeah,
0: that, that to me was the weird part about the Jones, um, Stipe announcement that the background is power slap and he has a power slap shirt on. I'm like, clearly it's a green screen. Like, can we not just put a UFC logo up there and Hey, Hey Danny, can we at least change your shirt to UFC? Like, I think there's a legitimate perception that people say is Dana white more involved in promoting power slap than he is in the UFC.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's just trying to force feed Power Slap down the UFC fans.
0: Oh, no question.
1: I mean, that's what he's trying to do. Is it working? No, I don't think so. But he's he's, he's hell-bent on making Power Slap a success. I think it's a, it's a matter of ego. It's a matter of stubbornness, and he, he will not stop.
0: Well, I'm not on Rumble, so. My my taking in a power slap is on social media timelines and the press releases I get from the UFC on it. One hundred
1: percent, I'll be one of those people that bump up those social media numbers that make power slap apparently the most watched thing of all time.
0: I I, yeah yeah, I mean, look, it's people take it in in fifteen second increments. That's the way it works. But, uh, but yeah. But, of course, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the podcast. Of course, new episodes of the podcast come out uh, typically on Wednesdays. But we want to get this out on Tuesday. As we knew, we were going to talk a little bit about UFC 290. Of course, uh, be sure to leave a comment. Uh, give a video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. It's only free to do. It doesn't cost you a dollar. Also, as always, we appreciate it. And we'll be back next week right here on the MMA Report Podcast.